2: Done a man's job, sir.
1: I guess you're through, huh?
2: Finished. It's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does?
3: Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join
2: us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Arman Haddad.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Syndicates. I am your host, Arman Haddad. This season we are exploring a cinematic adaptations of beloved stories. Today we are talking about the Blade Runner universe. But before we hunt down replicants, I am joined by some returning guests Diego, and Aaron. Guys, welcome back to the show. Hey, Armand, thanks for having us. It's always a pleasure. Hello. And I'm not just saying that. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: oh, man. Uh, these two juggernauts in the same room. I can't believe it. Wow. Oh. So before we jump into the Blade Runner universe, I got to ask, because I'm sure all of us come from Blade Runner at different times in our lives when we watched it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So, Diego. Yes. What was it like to discover Blade Runner for the first time? Like, where were you when you first encountered? So I watched Blade Runner with um, my,
3: one of my best friends who we, we actually met on our um, study abroad trip to Poland and he showed me Blade Runner. He was like, you ever heard of this movie? It's like with Harrison Ford. He's, he, you know, he kind of, He's essentially trying to understand who he is and what he does um, in this post-apocalyptic world. And it was awesome. You know, it was, I essentially didn't really know that I think like a lot of things like the title scroll um, that was used in Star Wars, or later used in Star Wars, excuse me, was, you know, brought up in this movie. That this movie brought up so many sci-fi tropes and really established a lot of things and It's exciting. I I really do like watching older movies for what they bring to, you know, what they bring to it all. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was awesome watching it.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, for me, I had seen Star Wars as a kid, um, and, uh, shortly after, I want to say like 2010 or so, um. I, I'm i not sure how I first heard about Blade Runner, but it kind of entered my attention. And so um, I watched it. And Blade Runner is one of the few movies that I've seen where, and Star Wars is in this camp too, where after watching it, I'm like, that's a world I want to live in. Mm. And it, it's it's that impact on the imagination that, um, that I really felt with Blade Runner. And... Uh, I started looking into um, the source material for Blade Runner and I fell down like a cyberpunk rabbit hole. Um, It took me like years to get out of.
2: (laughs) But um,
0: once I was free, uh, I'd heard about um, Blade Runner 2049 and the kind of troubled production of the original Blade Runner. Um, So I was excited that it was being handled by the director of Dune Um, and I had high expectations for, uh, what that would be as a sequel. And, uh, that movie somehow took that world that I really wanted to live in and just burst the roof on it and made it, uh, that much more vast and expansive. And, um, there's, there's a dreamlike quality to, uh, these movies and they, they kind of come from a bygone age where movies were, uh, were a form of art and it was something that would, was gonna last longer than you or I, or, um, and so the, it, it's, it's pretty close to a religious experience to, um, have something of that magnitude affect you like that. Wow.
1: That is incredible. And for me, it's like a combination of like you two. So, like, I guess because of, you know, the success of Star Wars. That was like my favorite film as a kid. So then I wanted to explore like Harrison Ford's other films, Indiana Jones, and then Blade Runner. And then I watched that and it was like profoundly different than like anything I've ever experienced before. Mm-hmm. Because like, not saying like Indiana Jones, Star Wars, those type of films are for like kids, but like they don't dive deep into like, the human condition and like in such a stylized aesthetic way Mm -hmm. you're not exposed to that when you're a kid and yeah so i guess it was like high school maybe a little bit before maybe middle school i don't know yeah that's when i encountered blade runner and the whole cyberpunk universe that's crazy yeah wow
0: There's a sense of awe about Blade Runner that I have really felt about any other franchise. And I think that's palpable when we all try to talk about it.
1: Yeah,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: absolutely. Yeah. Really? I really think about the, I think I just also think about it from the experience of like a viewer as from the art perspective of how, just how perfect and how moving the audio can be. You know, I think about I don't stop me if I'm skipping ahead, but I'm thinking about, you know, a specific scene in 2049, but just like how, you know, just the way, you know, the colors of the cinematography of everything and how it just blends in with the audio and how it moves you and how it creates a mood. Mm -hmm. It's it's so somber, you know, and it's like, wow, this is this is like this could exist, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: Yeah, it's like within our grasp. (laughs) We're so close, (laughs) yet so far away. (laughs) Oh, man. So, gentlemen, we touched upon it. Blade Runner by Ridley Scott, and then the sequel by Denis Villeneuve. So, you know what time it is? (gasps) A minute to win it? A minute to win it. It's... (laughs) Cipher some elevator pitches Oh boy
2: please stand clear of the closing door All
1: right, so I need you Diego and Aaron to summarize the Blade Runner franchise within 60 seconds. Oh my God All right Diego, I need you to summarize the film Blade Runner from 1982 in 30 seconds and then Aaron, I need you to summarize 2049. Within thirty seconds. Thirty seconds, Diego. We're gonna start in three, two, one, go. Blade Runner follows the detective Deckard
3: in his quest for the truth on trying to understand a running a replicant on the run and why one would do that. Deckard is trying to figure out what the replicant's motive is and what it is they are truly after. In a post-dystopian apocalyptic world. Post-apocalyptic world. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my
1: God. Aaron,
0: (laughs) go. All right. So uh, 30 years later uh, in 2049, uh, Kay kind of follows in Deckard's footsteps, uh, except he is a replicant working as a Blade Runner to retire other replicants. um, Until one day he finds uh, a miracle, the unthinkable, a proof that replicants are able to uh, uh, reproduce biologically. Oh, my God. So what will happen? You'll have to watch and find out. Oh, my God. You guys did a great job.
1: <laughs> oh, all right. So, yeah. So we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Blade Runner. It's this is cyberpunk futuristic world with replicants and humans, and we have to live together somehow, but mm-hmm. somehow it doesn't work. So let's get into it. So I can't believe Blade Runner is, like, so ahead of its time. Like, both in... I mean, it started the whole cyberpunk genre. It didn't exist before that. Mm -hmm. So, it like, Hot Isle of the Gate establishes its own, you know, fictional universe. It's so ahead of its time. And also, I guess, the social commentary uh, beneath uh, the film, too. Like, Mm -hmm. it's crazy.
0: It is. Um, So, yeah, they... Uh, place it in the far distant future of 2019. And Los Angeles has been uh, basically heavily gentrified and mixed with um, kind of Japan and China, uh, their cultures have mixed in. And um, and so it creates this kind of like dystopian nightmare that... Mm -hmm. Uh, except it's not a nightmare. It's just like it kind of sucks. Um, but everybody wants to um, – they don't just come out and tell you this, but they want everybody on earth wants to basically emigrate to the moon uh, where mm. the kind of like wealthy class of people live. Mm. Um, and so it's like everybody uh, – there's that social commentary of like um, the wealthy elite and how they mistreat uh, the poor. And so like all the poor people are stuck on earth. They have to f- live with rain all the time and constant dirtiness and garbage. Um, and that's the world that we're dropped into. So that's just uh, one element of Blade Runner setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's, uh, <clears throat> and it definitely seems like the, these replicants, these bioengineered humans, if you will, they... Uh, they're pretty much bred to work. They are on a very short life cycle. I believe in the movie, they, they um, the latest replicant model was pushed to seven years worth of living, and it you know they are essentially they are like I said like these kind of humans that are on these like much shorter time clocks. They don't know a lot. They're just essentially bred to do the dirty jobs that a lot of like humans left on earth don't want to do, you mm-hmm. know? So, um, but yeah. And, and, and it's also a big apparent issue, I believe within these replicants and kind of like the, the creator of these replicants that this guy is, Hey, he's like not only bioengineering these workers, but he's also kind of pushing the limits of, you know, can you make a human, you know, that was another really big other question that they kind of asked was like that morality question. Like Mm -hmm. as humans, do we have the power to dictate? We already have the power to like reproduce as humans. Does that mean we also have the power to just play
0: God? Mm -hmm. Playing God is a major theme of it. Um, especially uh, more so in the first one. Um, you have that famous scene where, um, they go up to Tyrell and, um, Roy, he, uh, you know, he, he asks for more life, um, and it's very much reflective of our desires humans to want to pursue eternal life, and Tyrell in this in this case repre- represents like a god figure, and, um, you know, Roy wants more life so that, um, you know, he can do great things and live it to its fullest, and Tyrell's like, you know, it's impossible to give you more life, but even if I could, I'm so proud of you and all of your achievements with what you've done, um, with the life that you do have. And Roy angrily like rebels against God and kills him by crushing his skull. Mm -hmm. Um, and that very much represents, um, this, uh, nihilistic, um, existentialist type of thinking, uh, that was, um, you know, present with Nietzsche Mm -hmm. and, um, this really comes to the fore because uh, it's basically like man's desire to uh, free himself of all shackles and uh, kill God in the process if he has to. But as we find out later, um, you know, is if that's like the, the, the point of human of being human is to um, try to like kill God and be as free as you can. Then uh, the question is, when we see this happening with machines, at what point are they
1: kind of more human than we are? Yeah. Yeah, this film, and that's probably why it's such a beloved movie and, like, remembered today. Like, I mean, what? Has it been 50 years or 40 years? Yeah, just about. 1982. Man. Like... Are we going to be talking about the new Star Trek Beyond or Star Trek Uh, Picard in 50 years? I don't think so. (laughs) That's not going to be remembered. No. Yeah, it's, man. And, like, it's crazy how Ridley Scott took that socioeconomic commentary Mm -hmm. and then fused into science fiction, well like applying depression and like hardship of the 20th century within that. like mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's such a beautiful picture that it paints of like the utopia, but it's like completely distorted by human nature. And it could have been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel
3: like just a. I feel like I've with you and like just in the beginning, talk to you both. Like I already have, you know, this idea of like almost like what a third one would look like right it's if we're following this kind of trajectory and and then detail about how everyone wants to like kind of live on the moon and essentially like escape the hell that is we've created is on earth Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. i just cannot but help but to think about you know jeff bezos And his recent little (laughs) space endeavor, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's just like, ah, this is, this is source material, you know, this is where we find it for the next one. But, you know, it's, it's just so interesting, like, you know, I mean, it, how it perfectly mirrors the world that we live in, you know, those of higher up, those who are looking to extend their, you know, their morality through greatness, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's.
1: It's just all—it's all over. Very prophetic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely love it. And with Blade Runner, the first movie, like it started all that, and then now, com- completely different generation looks back, and it was like, you know what? I love that universe so much. I want to continue it with Blade Runner twenty forty nine, mm-hmm. and it's just incredible how not only did Denis Villeneuve maintain the aesthetic but like also aged it within its universe 30 years mm-hmm. and it's just a wonder to see like the evolution of that world and we see like more beyond the curtain that blade runner established with that movie mm-hmm. yeah it's just Incredible.
0: Yeah, there's, uh, for example, with that, there's um, this theme of environmentalism yeah. that carries throughout uh, the Blade Runner movies. Um, you see that in the beginning, but it's more kind of in the background. Um, it, it is a cityscape after all, um, but it's like always raining and um, they, it's implied that we killed off all the animals because all the animals that uh, appear in the movie, they're all, uh, they're all fake, they're robotic. Um, because, and and that implies that we just, um, you know, dirtied up the planet so much that we've killed all the animals that could ever be around. Um, and then we get a wider look at that with Blade Runner 2049 in like this desert out in, uh, next to Los Angeles where they like grow worms in order to (laughs) feed people protein. And, um, you see the kind of larger scale impact of that, Mm uh, uh, environmental effect that mankind has had on, uh, planet earth. And so it just it drives that connection home too the kind of messed up world that we're leaving behind, uh, versus, uh, the, the moon or wherever we hope to escape to. Wow. Um, and, and, yeah, there's, so there's that, uh, environmentalism, uh, the class divide. Yeah. Uh, and they're all kind of woven together into this very, very believable world.
1: Yeah. And like you said it, um, we said it a few times with, uh, going off world, like with both movies, like you don't ever see what these off world colonies look like. Like they're just mentioned go off world, like in the advertisements Mm -hmm. or it's even like a threat in the second movie with, uh, Kay's boss and like telling him like, so if you don't do this, I'm going to send you off world. So it has like both implications hmm. of like the rich um, uh, and the, the poor, like that social and geographical uh, differences even. And then all those themes like go into going off world. And it just makes me wonder, is it what we think it is? Because like it's implied that That's where the wealthy are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what if there is no off world? What if there is no moon colony? What if it was just a big lie? Because like the wealthy are still on Earth. You have Wallace Mm -hmm. and Tyrell still headquartered on Earth. They live on Earth. Wouldn't they live on moon? Mars? Another
3: galaxy? Maybe it's not really implied that it's more of a colony feel like Jamestown trying to survive. Like maybe they're not as far advanced on these other colonies as what we think. Maybe Mm. it's, 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 you know, not only that, but these replicants and whoever's sent or not replicants, but whoever, whoever sent off world, um, you know, essentially might just be subjected to labor and just roles and shifts that they just, would rather not do, hmm. you know, cause uh-huh. it could also just, yeah, it could also just be, is like, ah, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're doing desk duty for like a month. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the sheriff says to like a deputy or something. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I imagine it's almost the same thing. It could be as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm not, not sure I agree that it's completely fake. Um, it is an interesting thought that, um, that there is this kind of alternate, uh, reality that we're, uh, kind of blinded to, uh, much like the matrix. Um, uh, however, Tyrell seems to, uh, really care about his replicants and put a lot of time, thought, and energy on them. And if, uh, earth is where, um, they're supposed to be, then he's going to be there manufacturing them and then just shipping them off world. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting thought, but I think it's probably more likely that um, it is real.
1: Well, you know, I'm a conspiracy guy. Oh, I am. <laughs> oh, I am well that, aware. That, like, popped in. I'm like, is it? I don't think it's real. It's like, hmm, a little fishy. It's moving. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that was
3: gross. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I... I think another I think another question that we have to ask if we're talking about the duality and like man machine is we have to talk about Deckard. Mm-hmm. We should talk about, about who he is. Armand,
1: could you give us a little refresh on what his job is? <laughs> oh yeah, we didn't talk about it yet. <laughs> so like the name on the franchise Blade Runner, so in this futuristic world there's like replicants where You know, they do the jobs that we don't want that we don't want to do because we'll die. They're engineered to be more than human. They could do all these crazy things. Mm -hmm. But they have a short lifespan, so we see them as disposable. And then a few of them rose up in rebellion. So then we created a special arm of the police where they exclusively hunt down these replicants that go rogue. They're dangerous people. And our friend Deckard is a blade runner. So that's what Deckard does. So we follow him. He's played by Harrison Ford and yeah, I I would say that is who Deckard is.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But um, more than that, uh, throughout the uh, first movie, they play it very ambiguously um, and, Uh, suggest in very subtle ways that um, he could be a a replicant himself. Yep. And so um, you're left to wonder, like, what does it mean if he is or isn't a replicant? And um, what does that mean as far as um, how we think of ourselves as autonomous people? Um, But uh, it could just as easily um, go the other way, like uh, who's pulling the strings? And what does it actually mean to be human? So, um, it's a very interesting angle. Of he could be a replicant, he couldn't be, uh, and they kind of play, playfully um, tease at that in the sequel. They never outright say it one way or the other, but they kind of um, wink at the viewer to uh, as far as that's supposed to be resolved. Um, but um, yeah, that 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 dividing line between um, what does it mean to be human um where does uh where does that intersect with the uh, intelligences that we're making and um kind of the technology that we're introducing into the world and is ultimately ruining it and um as we leave it behind wow hmm.
1: would you say that we're close to having that ability to be more blade runner in idea do you think we're close to cloning humans? Um, I think, I
3: think we've we've definitely have. I remember reading or like I was. I remember I was younger and I was trying to read this article, but I don't think I just could really grasp it. But it, it was talking about cloning sheep, and I'm pretty sure if you can clone like the fetus of a sheep, wow. you can definitely clone the fetus of a human. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I mean. I just think we just, it's just really at this point, it comes down to who's going to do it and who's going to carry that burden. And then, you know, this person's kind of ushered on a new era because then at this point it's like, well, I think you're just kind of disproving that like God just doesn't exist. You know, that obviously like, I mean, religion is at that point is in itself Um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? It's 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 a it's a bias. It's up to everybody. It's up to your own interpretation, Mm -hmm. right? So, I guess. But if we're able to create humans in in a way where more specifically, like we can um, control their lifespan, then yeah, I I feel like we've we've just kind of broken what it means to be human, and at that point, I feel like. Humanity can't really be seen as like this potential positive force anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not bad either, but well, I guess you kind of just have to expect, or uh, just kind of have to accept, like how chaotic everything is. I mean, like mm-hmm. yes, like life is chaotic, but I mean to then now also be able to like create people, and then what are the difference between these people? You know, like. And, you know, the thoughts and feelings that they might have, they might think that they're the next human race. Mm-hmm. They're the next, you know, they should be eradicating the natural humans because how are these new humans different? Because we're not just going to like, I also don't think if we had the ability to clone, we wouldn't just clone an average human.
0: This person would be perfect.
2: hmm
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to end up engineering something. I don't know what it's going to look like, um, but between the advances that we're making with, um, with 3D printing tissue um, and genetic engineering and also the advances in um, AI learning algorithms and how we're using them, uh, that's uh, really terrifying and going to be a, um, a huge turning point for this technology in the future. Um, we're going to be end up making something and the idea is are we going to be actually responsible with it um and and handle that technology in a responsible way or are we just going to put a jet engine behind it and just watch it go and not really have any care for the consequences because that's one of the major themes of uh blade runner is that um technology is the means by which um man can like make him make himself god but are we responsible enough to um you know handle that kind of power in a way that's not going to just destroy us as we are as humans and uh and the world around us?
1: Yeah, this film is like so unbelievably deep. And it's crazy how it just came out of the mind of our least suspected person, Ridley Scott. I know. It's like all of this commentary that we just said. Came from your brain? Yeah. You, where, where do you think he got this from? Like Diego, Aaron, where do you think he got it from?
0: Maybe Philip K. Dick, the writer of *Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep*? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a 1968 novel um, mm-hmm. which served as a source material for this, and uh, that's right around the the time when we first started um, experimenting with artificial intelligence and um, and learning algorithms and things like that. And so, um that was right at the forefront forefront of the uh kind of philosophy of um dealing with artificial intelligence at the time. So, uh it very much is uh, interested about and asking the right questions about um you know, what is what is what is the nature of consciousness and of being human and having the kind of technolo- technological advances and power that we have today.
3: Yeah yeah yeah. that's um, I'm proud to say that that book is in my library physical copy I have not started it yet though but good work <laughs> <laughs> to be honest this is definitely I got distracted by another book but this I I, I want to read it now you know <laughs> I, I had to I had to see I, I, cause I know that there's a lot of differences from the book because I know in the book specifically they said that it was like oh yeah Deckard's a replicant um, mm-hmm. if I'm correct and, um okay, I'm totally going to touch on it. But, you know, because within the movie, how in the hell is Deckard supposed to fight these replicants? Because the replicants are strong. You see one of them punch through a wall, and you see one of them just take Tyrell by the head and just, like, you know, punch out his eyes, like, a whole <laughs> punch, right? Yeah, And yeah. it was—and uh and so if Deckard's able to do hand-to-hand combat with them and still—like, yeah, like, they broke his shit, but— I, I mean the replicant he was fighting was much larger than him. Hell, I, I believe the actor, I, I don't remember, but I think it's the same actor that played as Ivan Drago, the, the, the like the, the big ah. bad replicant.
0: I don't remember. I'm oh.
3: terrible. Are no,
0: thinking Rucker Howard is the? Uh, actor for that. He did not play Ivan Drago. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. But gotcha. very much that same type.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I, I would say Depp, Right,
3: Decker's a replicant. <laughs> Decker's a replicant for sure. I just think that um, they didn't really want, I, I think his partner didn't want him to know um, because I mean like, how would anything feel about, hey, go hunt Something Go hunt and kill something of your own kind.
1: Right. You know? Aaron, do you think Deckard is a replicant?
0: I do not. I think he's human. Um, that's kind of... You kind of need that to be the um, emotional core of the story in order for it to work. Um, and I think because we see the uh, the movie and the world and the themes through his eyes, it's important to have someone to know... Uh, that we can count on as being human because um he's the one that goes through the most change in the movie and who we have our uh, hope set on and who actually walks this journey and so if if he's a replicant then a lot of the themes of um what it means to be human and uh, our reach for godhood and things like that it just doesn't quite work if he's a replicant mm-hmm.
1: does that make sense yeah 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 I don't think he's a replicant, like I like the idea that it's like, oh, he was you know made to hunt his own kind, but mm-hmm. he doesn't know, and there's ambiguity even in delivering that idea with Ridley Scott and how he created Blade Runner. but since we're, we're talking about the sequel, he's an old man. Mm-hmm. Replicants are given yeah. that time limit of four years, and that's why uh, the the bad people in the first film, um, Roy, like they were mad because it's like I'm I'm about to die, and mm-hmm. I want to meet my maker, and not even, not only kill him for my suffering, but I'm going to get you know inflict suffering onto the the detective that is chasing after me as well.
3: Mm-hmm. This is my argument.
1: Mm. Agent K definitely
3: is not on the clock. He's like I think Agent K and I am I am jumping at. Agent K um is definitely he's obviously a replicant. He's not on the clock and therefore I feel that Harrison Ford could be a replicant because I feel like Blade Runners would if anything would be the replicants with the longest lifespan because if you have to have issues and they also clearly like didn't really have issues with people sending people off world and whatnot. Yeah. I would say that he, Deckard is a special kind of replicant that hunts other replicants, isn't affected by the, the time clock and are also more proven to be more submissive because mm. I think of in the original one, right? How they're, they can like scan and see if you're a replicant because that's how they would, that's what they would do, what Blade Runner's... The voigt runners-
0: Kampf test. Wait, I'm sorry, what? The voigt Kampf test.
3: The Voigt-Kampff test? Yeah, that's
0: the test that they give to replicants to test if they're yeah. actually real people or not.
3: I did not know what that was called. That sounded very... Mm. It sounded like almost very German in the sense, and it yep. made me obviously mm-hmm. think of like... You know, hey, if you're not, if we're looking for this type of people, Mm -hmm. and if you are that type of person, you're in trouble.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. So, Volk in German means people. No way. Volk kind of sounds similar. Yeah. Sounds German. It does. Wow. So that's why you think Deckard is a replicant. I (laughs) I I think it's because he's a special
3: type of, I guess, because it's kind of like you know. It's, you know, like how you had Aaron had said earlier, it was a, mm-hmm. you know, and 2049, they kind of winked because they, they want you to almost have your own individual world build. That's always, I felt like that was the intention mm. um anyway, but I see, I think actually a lot of the things that you Aaron had brought, am sorry, I keep saying you, Aaron's right across <laughs> from me. I like a yeah. couple of things that Aaron I'm had brought I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things that uh, Aaron had brought up was, you know, the idea that, uh, um, a lot of those things of that, a human, like that humans go through, like that, of course makes them a human, but I almost kind of feel like as a replicant that like, that's what makes this movie even stronger is that it is this thing, this biomedical thing that is trying to understand what it's like to be human because he's, cause he's not only not human, but he's also apparently better than his other replicants. Why?
0: Oh. because it's the triumph of the human spirit <laughs> there you
2: go blade uh, runner the anime i mean it does bring up <laughs> a
0: interesting point um as far as if he were to be a replicant um then it's this idea that we're uh making this intelligent being that's just way more disposable than we are um and uh it's just sending him to do the dirty jobs that we don't want to it's um that continued theme of, uh, how disposable are we making other people, um, and either putting them into danger, um, sending them off to war or, uh, disposing of them and just completely, um, not acknowledging their, their right to have the same kind of life that we do.
2: Hmm.
3: What if off world was referencing to where they were fighting their, uh, their wars what if yeah. off world was like kind of more? I don't, know, I don't know. I just feel like there's just, when you talk about this movie, there's just so many little nitpicky things that you can pick on. There's another thing I want to bring up, um,
1: but it's within them. Oh. So yes. if you visualize it, it's like Blade Runner takes place in the city of Chicago. Okay. And then off colony would like be it. the suburbs. Mm hmm. Okay. You know, 30 minutes out or 40 minutes out. And that's where the war is happening. Mm. Is that kinda of like that? It's like the same country planet. <laughs> like if you're not in the city, that's, you're like what are you doing? That's what off mean, world. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess at a celestial level, I guess if you're looking at mm-hmm. it, each town was a planet. Oh my gosh.
3: <laughs> it's only a twenty minute um hovercraft <laughs> hovercraft minute drive away.
1: It'd be two or three parsecs.
3: I have a question. What's up with the
1: unicorn? The unicorn? Yeah, the
2: unicorn. Oh,
0: yes. So, uh, uh, rather famously in Blade Runner, um, Deckard at one point has a dream, a dream of a unicorn uh, running through, and um, later in uh, later in the film, one of uh, Deckard's coworkers. Uh, is known for folding up these origami animals and uh, he ends up leaving a little paper unicorn uh, in Deckard's apartment, which implies that the dream that he had uh, was planted because how else could this guy have known uh, about the unicorn and how important it is. And that's reflected too later uh, in 2049 when Kay is uh, searching for um, uh, who we find out, Rachel, who's a huge, huge and important figure in both movies, um, but yeah, if the unicorn comes into play there too.
1: Yeah. So I guess a bigger question would be like, what's up with the origami in general? And I guess, why does the image of the unicorn relate to being not human? I guess. Hmm. I actually think it's because in a way,
3: um, kind of to, uh, support my theory of why he's a replicant (laughs) is because the planted dreams and also that was his way. I think that was his partner, his, his signal, his way of letting him, Hey, you are an extraordinary human being. You're not a, you're not a horse. You're not a donkey. You're a unicorn. You know, like, mm. you are one of one. And I think he also found these unicorns um, kind of scattered throughout the movie, almost in referencing towards Rachel. Like, I think it, towards the end of the movie, um, when him and, like, well, I don't Well, I feel like we have to talk about Rachel now. Mm-hmm. Like, but I, I can't. Yeah, yeah. Before. So... Uh, Okay, so within the movie, right? There's this kind of like this other uh, love interest of Deckard's. Uh, her name is Rachel, um, and it's interesting because Rachel's definitely like a replicant through the through the test and through the film. Um, similar to what Tyrell was saying about um, how like made things have like the shimmer in their eye. Like she had the same shimmer. Mm-hmm. Replicant. Um, this replicant owl did as well. Yes. Oh, that's right. The 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 owl was a replicant as mm. well. That's right. Um but yeah, it it definitely kind of seemed like the his partner was like being like, hey, like I don't know. It it's weird because his partner never really isn't seem like he's tied to anything larger than just being Deckard's partner. Mm. You know, it doesn't seem like he's has any ulterior motives to set replicants free. So it's confusing to why these implanted dreams and these references that are outside of his dreams play such an important part, you know, because it's like, it's like, okay, like, yes, this does, hence, damn, I did say this was a point for me, but I will say, yes, this can seem like to why he's a replicant, but to not knowing his partner's ulterior motives, it just makes that um, route of that hints that Easter egg kind of flat. Like it just stops hmm. there,
0: you know? Yeah. But yeah. That dream I think is used as, um, kind of a proof of being human, I think, mm-hmm. um, where it's only a, a, a human mind, a human intelligence that can, um, or human consciousness, I should say that can dream up, um, imaginary things and things that don't exist. Um, but, what makes it so ambiguous is that we know that Rachel um, is a replicant who uh, believes that she's human and she does that because of implanted memories of a false past that have been placed onto her. So um, the question is, uh, is Deckard, is he actually dreaming or is that an implanted memory of him dreaming? And it, it further muddies the waters as far as is he human or um, is he replicant? And really is the, dividing line difference between them all that great
1: yeah but why are the unicorns specifically why the animal
2: hmm
3: well i guess you could say you can't really say the animal because unicorns don't exist it's a mythical creature so therefore
1: (laughs) so you take the unicorn yes i know it's a mythical creature but There's a horse, you know, involved with the myth. So it's like, so humans are the horse, replicants are the unicorn. I'm Sandra, and
0: I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
1: Because they don't exist, really, because they're not human, Mm. you just turn a blind eye to them.
0: There, there could be a further relationship there as far as um, to the extent that humans have used horses uh, to domesticate them and put them to work for us. That's uh, another layer of the um, kind of replicants being put to work by humans mm-hmm. uh, metaphor. Um, but I think it just goes back to my earlier point that it's uh, supposed to be proof that he's human because if it was an implanted memory, um, I don't see why they would make a unicorn, but it's because it's a unicorn that... In my mind, uh solidifies it as a dream mm. instead of an implant. does
1: that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Good job, Aaron. <laughs> Do I get a gold star? <laughs> <laughs> you get I'm gonna put the movie on in the background. Ooh, so hold on. Oh, hell yeah. Oh yeah, I love how they um changed and updated the the font.
3: The title, uh, title card. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Not the scrolling. God, I love like it. It's Star Wars, but you're reading a page in a book. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Guys, I'm not going to lie. Um, I just kind of feel like I've grown past Star Wars. Like i as oh. you get older, the more like things like, you know, how Aaron brought up how this movie's like rare, like art. And it really is. And like, yeah. then there's Marvel movies, Star Wars is a, in that Marvel category, it's oh, like
0: not yep. really. It's a theme park ride. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it turned into a theme park ride. Yeah, or was it always a theme park ride?
0: Yes. <laughs> oh <that>. no. There, <laughs> either way, there's, yes. Either way, yes. But there's uh something more pure and mythic about the original Star Wars And at some point the um probably with Disney the movies became a, a means a ways to make money um yeah. and kind of like the best. Star Wars that's out there right now has moved to TV. Yeah. They're actually telling good stories there. Mandalorian is probably, in my opinion,
3: the best Disney-made Star Wars content. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's just tough because I don't want to know about the origin of Han Solo. I don't want to know about the team that got wiped out <laughs> mm-hmm. from the Death Star. I was told it was thanks to Bothan spies, and I didn't see one fucking Bothan in that
0: movie.
2: <laughs>
0: uh. You're thinking um, the, the second Death Star, ah. uh, Return of the Jedi oh yeah that's Arman, where, that's where the bottom is literally Armand. you yeah
3: you've still me the same thing but i just wanted to see one motherfucker go invisible just like they do in battlefront
1: yeah i just wanted to see that
3: once <laughs> uh,
1: uh they have so the cool. ability to go invisible and that, how come somebody died <laughs>
3: <laughs> you to try harder <laughs> <laughs> yeah they weren't sweaty enough <laughs> they weren't slide canceling enough you know <laughs> Uh, sorry, that's a college of thing. <laughs> More specifically, Warzone. Um, anyway, oh my, Runner. I love, I love the fashion in Twenty Forty
1: Nine. Yeah. Oh my
2: god,
1: it's so good, it's so good. I would dress like that because it looks so awesome. But I would look ridiculous mm. if that was my everyday clothes. Yeah. You know, people would be like, "Oh." Nerd, that doesn't exist. Or, or
3: doesn't kids, stay exist. away from that, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Stay away from me. Leave me alone. Still,
0: <laughs> everyone wants Kay's jacket, everyone wants Deckard's tie and his jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but, like I said, it's a world that you want to live in because their fashion is so cool.
3: Yeah, a buddy of mine, um, the same buddy who introduced me to the first Blade Runner, love him to death. Um, but he definitely looked like a Blade Runner when we went to go see 2049. He had like <laughs> nice black pants and like just a white, um, a white turtleneck and like this brown tan overcoat. I, was like, I see you. <laughs> nice. Deckard. <clears throat> but, uh, it's, it's cool. It's cool. He was, yeah. I, I, I mean it, it just like that though. Like, I don't know. I th- I think about when we were obviously talking about the, uh, so much of, um, an imprint this movie has made, This series has made on society. I mean, like, yeah, you do get a lot of those. Like, I feel like you are seeing a lot of those, that cyberpunk in fashion, you know, like that. That's very, yeah,
1: common. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. would say so. I would say so. Like, Aaron, have you seen it in public? I have. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Just
0: come by Chicago during Lollapalooza. You'll see... (laughs) all sorts of cyberpunk fashion. That's that's a different type of cyberpunk. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was thinking like having glowing rainbow shapes attached to your, to your dress. Um, yeah, but you were, you were thinking of something else in particular
1: with cyberpunk fashion. Oh yeah. Like I was thinking because like, okay. So Blade Runner is the fusion of noir Mm-hmm. And then uh the future, sci-fi, and it turned into this dystopian, interesting look at like say if the nineteen forties happened when we were in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That type of aesthetic. And with so I would imagine the fashion on State Street or Michigan Avenue. Where people are wearing those giant overcoats, closer mm. to winter, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, or like dresses that are long and you know, kind of like I don't know, kind of like a lamp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know what you mean. Yeah. So yeah, I guess both happen if you really think about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We need more wearable tech, like
0: to really start to bridge yeah. that gap to watch. cyberpunk. <laughs> yep, a watch. Um, we need we need those visors like Google Glass that just have like the heads up display in front of you. Yeah, um, yeah. The more wearable tech that we get, that's um, the further cyberpunk will be. And that's a future that I want.
3: It's 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 funny because I finally got a like a Fitbit, like a Fitbit <laughs> Stream, right? Yeah. Um, my my buddy explained it to me. You get an Apple Watch if you want to be more connected to the world. You get mm. a Fitbit if you want to be more connected to yourself, thus knowing your heartbeat, whatever. Whoa. And mm. I was like, ha ha, sold. I'm getting <laughs> a Fitbit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just like that wearable tech of like knowing where your body is at. Like I usually I didn't wear them on my run today, but I love to see where my BPM is at mid run. So just to make sure I'm, I'm in the zone that I want to be to like, uh, burn the most. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. If you guys could come up, um, okay. If you guys can have a piece of wearable tech, whether it exists or doesn't exist, what do you think you would want?
1: Well, that's easy. Jetpack. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's more like transportation. So Right. But my question
3: is, I'm asking as a wearable tech, not in the sense of I put a backpack on and fly, I'm (laughs) saying what part could be incognito to your wear that is beneficial to you? Like, I mean, I know they already exist, but I wear glasses all the time Mm -hmm. and I would love nothing more than just like, you know, heads up
1: to, you know, I'd love a heads up display. Like in Dragon Ball Z. Or the scouter, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. it's power level. Dee, 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 dee. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh man, man that would be
0: cool. I would love. Um, <laughs> uh, we're 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 trying to like break up the the cell phone and like attach it to different parts of your body. Like we have Bluetooth earphones, and we have a watch that gives you um, all your notifications, so you don't have to pull out your phone. But if you can miniaturize that in a way where it's um, just like something that you put in your ear, mm-hmm. and it's like you can. Um, not only make calls and receive calls, but play music and other media. And um, if there's anything visual, there would just be a built-in display, either like in your contact lenses or something that goes out in front. And then it just has all the functions there, but it's just up on your ears and not in your pockets or anything uh, that you need to fiddle with. That would be the best as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, so kind of like Elon Musk's Neuralink. Yeah. like a chip in your brain, and now it's like... I don't even know.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of what uh, Ghost in the Shell is about, which, of course, is inspired by Blade Runner and um, its own cyberpunk thing. Um, Their whole deal is um, that there's just a network that connects everything worldwide, and uh, they have these cyborg uh, parts that you can get for your head that just allow you to uh, jack into that and become networked to everyone in the world. And, um, yeah, that would be a very interesting thing to have
1: yeah like so i want to bring this up earlier so the film was made before the smartphone this is important Mm -hmm. so to have upgraded vision upgraded you know ears that's like two different devices so you have like glasses headphones Mm -hmm. photograph still photo camera movie video camera and then like Oh, I need to call people too. I need a telephone. So I need, you know, like eight different devices to do X, Y, and Z. So with all those devices, you would think, oh, they're all going to increase uh, optimism for each one and become its like perfected thing. Mm-hmm. So that's where you get like this like gritty diesel future where it's like kind of analog, but not fully digital. Mm-hmm. And then you look at uh, the the sci-fi that's made now, after iPhone, it's completely different. So like, if Blade Runner was real, after like their iPhone would be not the replicant, but like I don't know, like a copy of you. Yeah. Because it's your you is the chip in your brain, and it's like kind of like altered carbon. Yeah, I was about to say like altered carbon. That's a that's a good movie. Yeah. Good yeah,
0: track. well, like Tony Stark's father, we are limited by the technology of our time, and that includes uh, Blade Runner and its source novel, and they're limited by their technology in what they can imagine the future will be. Mm-hmm. Um, like Deckard, he v- is scanning this photograph, um, and he's he requests a printout, and it like prints out like a little Polaroid camera. <laughs> um, it's like, we would think that's crazy right now to have in the future. Um, because we don't get print printouts anymore. It's just right. like sent to our phone. My mm-hmm. point being, um, with, uh, the, within the parameters of the makers of, uh, the original Blade Runner, they were limited with what they can imagine the future to be. And, um, the, the people that in 2019 made, uh, Blade Runner 2049, uh, they're kind of limited in their capacity, um, as we are for um, imagining what the future could be. So I wonder in 30 years from now, how, how would we imagine the future? Um, and what does that mean as far as being human? My point being with, um, with like ghost in the shell, they imagined a world where everybody is networked and interconnected. And so that begs the question, uh, what would it mean if we could just instantly connect to anybody that we wanted to? And, um, and what, themes Blade Runner explores too is uh, when it comes to consciousness is what would it mean to be fully connected to someone else and know everything about them? Um, How much of that is a construction and how much of it is us as actual real um, genuine human beings.
1: Going from there, let's transition to the second movie. Mm -hmm. So I guess we all encountered the first one before the second one. So I have to ask, When you heard about their making a sequel, how how did we feel about it? Well,
0: I had already been burned by Star Wars. (laughs) So I originally was not optimistic. um, And I thought they were going to screw it up. Um, There's no way that they could uh, match that vision I built in my head of what that world is like. Um, And I'll I'll tell you what my response was later, but that's how I was thinking um, (laughs) Pulling up to release day of twenty
1: forty nine. Didn't we see it together? I feel like we did.
0: Was Rutch there? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> <But it's>, yeah.
1: <laughs> so Yeah, like do you have a similar story where it's like
3: Um, I would say I didn't really have I didn't I I I saw the first one for this cool like if you're a designer you're gonna love this. So I went with the same mindset of going scene twenty forty nine and I oh. just feel like I wasn't like I wasn't let down. Mm-hmm. It was kinda long, but that's really it. <laughs> <laughs> my,
0: my ass was numb. <laughs> <laughs> it was very long. Um but I'm so happy that they didn't screw it up. Um it's about as perfect a sequel as I think anyone could ask for, um, in the fact that they made the world bigger, contextualized it differently, um, in a way that was new and exciting, but it also, uh, kept so much of the continuity of, um, what the world was and how it looked and worked and felt, um, and carrying that forward to the sequel.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, so I mean, I'm kind of in your boat, Aaron, where I was I was burned by Star Wars because, like, you know, you, that's hard to live up to. Like, you're thinking mm-hmm. about this for 30 years, and then for us, it was, like, all our lives. Like, oh, I, I wonder what episode seven would be. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. that w- And I would be like, you know what? It would never happen. It's never going to happen. And then oh, it is happening. Mm-hmm. And then we saw it and we're like, okay. If you love four, <laughs> you'll love seven. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: even in that case, I'm like, there's so many different ways that they could have screwed it up. Uh the fact that they made it um as appealing to both new generations and old generations as, right. as possible in a way that didn't um, you know, offend their old fan base like Ghostbusters. Um <laughs> That that, that was was super successful for Force Awakens, and so um, it made it possible for me to believe that it could happen with Blade Runner 2049, Um, and I'm glad it not only met those expectations, but absolutely surpassed them.
1: Yeah, I mean, with Blade Runner, I remember watching it, I guess it was opening weekend. You and I were there. Mm -hmm. IMAX. We were yep. pretty close to the screen. Yeah. <laughs> and then the movie just happens, and I was just sitting there, and I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is the greatest film I've ever seen in my whole life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I was, I don't know how, but Denis Villeneuve just captured, like, the essence of Ridley Scott's vision for this world. And I don't know, like, you could tell that, Dennis Villeneuve just absolutely love that universe mm-hmm. and like really marinated in the whole story of Blade Runner mm-hmm. before making the movie.
0: Yeah, I was surprised they uh it, it was basically a, an art project. And by that, I mean, um it, this was not some studio who's trying to, you know, make a quick buck on the legacy of the original Blade Runner and you know, make it this marketable product, but rather it was, let's just dump a ton of money under this to make it the best piece of movie art that we can. And we're not going to be concerned about making a ton of money back or whatever. Um, I think this movie got its, um, got its budget back, but not by much.
1: Yeah. It wasn't a success.
0: Yeah. Um, but the fact that, Such care was taken to make it the best piece of art possible, regardless of, you know, if it makes a ton of money or not. Um, That was, you know, the best I could hope for, for a Blade Runner sequel. And I'm so glad that that's what we got.
1: It wasn't a cash grab. Exactly. Like, Mm -mm. like, you know what? That's like, who cares if no one likes it? We will be happy as, you know, as a piece of, you know, a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Let's take it, make it for people that actually care about this stuff and make it as awesome looking as possible. Mm -hmm. And I would say they achieved that. But we're not, I I guess we're not a mainstream audience if they keep on underperforming where they think they're going to hit, you know?
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I I definitely think too that, um, like this movie isn't made for, for first weekend sales. This movie's supposed to be in the mind's, and really test time like this is Mm um this is an instant classic in my opinion and i i just kind of feel like you know um yeah it was it's it's the perfect sequel you know it's like it just hits everything so perfectly i do really like that this was uh focused in on for the art because i feel like aside from this movie um it i really think about like I hate to say it, but I think about Tarantino movies. Like I remember mm-hmm. when I went to go see hateful eight, was it hateful eight? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was cool. Cause when I went to go see it, well, I went to go see it with my brother and my mom. I don't really think they, they really caught the vibe like I did, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, I just really liked that, you know, mili- uh, 70, I think 70, 72 millimeter camera. Mm-hmm. Um, 70 the, mil. yep. yeah, it was in, uh, and just kind of the, that feeling that everyone had to keep up their, you know, keep their role going because it was just in one room. Mm-hmm. Like it was an experience. And I just, you know, miss movies for an experience. I saw like Black Widow like a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, dude, why? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, who is this for? It's <laughs> yeah, and it's not. And I do not want to. That is not me to disrespect. Uh. Because, I uh, like, Scarlett Johansson and the Black Widow character, because I know a big part of that movie, too, was to definitely give her her own movie, so I don't want to take away from that. But mm-hmm. I'm more speaking along the lines that, like, we had a villain in that movie that literally just copied every other Marvel super some other Marvel h- superhero uh-huh. powers, which I get it, because mm-hmm. that's, like, the enemy's name. But it's just, like, it's corny. You know, it's... Yeah. It's... It, like... I think we saw it in Star Wars that not only did it cater both um, audiences of new and old, but it caters to audiences of both domestic and foreign. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you're onto something here, Diego, where uh, you mentioned Tarantino as kind of an example of, of that art versus commerce debate with movies. And I think that's because he's one of the last, kind of directors who can make a huge movie that everybody sees and that has like a single creative vision and like it's coming from a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's kind of the last one of these and Ridley Scott was for a while. Um, but in, in comparison, um, it's not very often that you're going to get a movie that makes you think about and question the human condition mm-hmm. and what that means. And every once in a while you'll get art that uh, and movies that kind of rise to that level Um, but largely you don't because movies are now theme park rides and and exhibits Mm -hmm. and they're, they're, they're made to turn a profit and not much else. Um, they have music that tells you how to feel and dialogue that tells you what to think. Um, there, there's nothing left up to mystery or that's not trying to Right. Say something in a way that makes you think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just packaged and pre-digested for you, and it's awful. It's awful.
3: It is so awesome that you uh, bring that up because I know we were talking earlier about your audio background. So, mm-hmm. and I've I've heard that argument when it comes to Marvel movies. It is purposely like if you were to go back and listen to the soundtrack, like you, if you were to listen to Lord of the Rings, like I would say that's another great. Um, uh, another great marriage of uh communication and wait communication and profit no of mm-hmm. art and profit art yeah. and profit um and I would say um so yeah i've heard that um marvel movie soundtracks are purposely made so that you don't you don't pay attention to it it's just mm-hmm. like dun, 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 dun. like it's <laughs> just like waiting music half the time
0: yeah it's not it's not taking any risks it's just like this is the music for when they're fighting. This is the music for when they're running away. This is the music for when they're sad. Uh, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. And there's a whole psychology to music theory in um, what chords and notes can mm-hmm. make you feel different ways. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you just approach, approach it from that direction, when you're um, making movies as a, as a product, um, it, it's, it's just so easy to take shortcuts and make something that's forgettable and bland, but still affects you on a subconscious level to try to make you feel one mm-hmm. way or another. Um, whereas when you get an inventive uh, composer like, um, like John Williams or uh, in the case of Blade Runner an Evangelist uh, for the music, then it's, it's not only music that's inventive and new and exciting, um, but can also make you think in different ways than maybe you're prepared for um the
3: this kind of like um what is the what is the intention of noir sounding that jazzy kind of music and you know because i know armand you had brought up how and it's definitely like also a noir film but it 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 does like would you say those jazzy moods just i always think of, of like you know oh okay i thought it was something else that i uh, I thought it was really funny that um, mm-hmm. we didn't touch on is that Blade Runner, I feel like, is also considered a noir film because of the how another version of the movie had Deckard talking through, like, most of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another reason almost why it's noir. But yeah, we, you're talking about the voiceover at the <laughs> end? Yeah. No. Well, there's a version where there's a voiceover to the whole
0: movie. That's right. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was studio interference. And, <laughs> um I know we're talking about 2049, but the original right. Right. production was a disaster. Uh-huh. Everybody had a horrible time, <laughs> yeah. um, and including Harrison Ford, who yeah. they dragged kicking and screaming into the uh, voiceover studio because uh, the studios, it. the well, the studios panicked and they wanted like everything explained to the audience as directly as possible. Yes. And, mm-hmm. uh, voiceover is the most blunt tool you could use for that, um, and Harrison Ford hated it. He's like, "This is not." what Deckard would say, this is awful dialogue, Mm -hmm. but he's forced contractually to do it. Um, Thankfully we have like the director's cut and the final cut now that Mm -hmm. removes all that nonsense. Um, But yeah, that's why I can't recommend the theatrical version because um, it's uh, there's a symptom of that studio panic that just infects the art instead of just letting a thing stand for itself and speak for itself.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I'm glad you brought that up, Aaron, because like, Oh, man. So I always wanted to watch Blade Runner for a very long time, like growing up, like from knowing Harrison Ford for doing Star Wars, Indiana Jones. I was like, I want to see Blade Runner, but like, how am I supposed to see it? It's like, it's kind of
2: mm-hmm.
1: not very accessible. Like you really no. have to hunt for it to find this movie. And since it wasn't readily available, I couldn't watch it. And then like, I finally do watch it. I find out there's, like, seven different versions. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. Like, I, I want to jump into this universe, and it's like, I'm already... It's like, all right. First challenge. Uh, it's almost equivalent to, like, a paywall. Like,
2: uh
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's like trying to get anyone into Star Wars now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Where do you even begin? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just tell people... Yeah, Attack yeah, seven the Seven cuts of Blade Runner.
1: <laughs> I don't tell people to really begin anywhere Star Wars. But anyway, so... <laughs> so Like, I I bring that up because we're talking about the theatrical version, which Mm -hmm. I don't even know how I'm supposed to even find that, but it does exist. Yes,
0: but uh, if there
1: is one version that you would recommend, which would that be? Oh, the final cut. So there's the theatrical... Actually, there's the work print Mm -hmm. before it was even released, the theatrical, then director's cut, Mm -hmm. final cut. And I think that's it. Couple other ones around there, but they don't. Yeah. They don't matter. Have you
0: have you seen the theatrical version? Uh, no, I've
3: just I've seen scenes of him talking over it. Oh my god! Yeah, it seems, and he sounds
1: pissed. Yeah, it sounds like ha- he's about to slit his wrists. I mm-hmm. have an audio example if you want to hear it. Oh my god! Sure thing, sure thing. Okay, this is at the final, almost one of the final scenes of the movie of the original, and the the replicant that was trying to kill Decker gives this speech mm. as he dies oh, in bet. rain. Yes. Like this is it and this is what the studio wanted Harrison Ford to say right after that scene.
2: All those moments will be lost in time but, like tears in rain. Time to die. I don't know why he saved oh, my guess. life. Maybe in those last moments he loved life more than he ever had before. Not just his life. Anybody's life. <laughs> my life. All he'd wanted were the same answers the rest <laughs> of us want. Where do I come from? Where am I going? <laughs> how long have I got? All I could do was sit there and watch him die.
1: And that's it. Jeez. That's how does not
0: give a shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, that is beyond awful
1: and then you know he did that on purpose because like oh if i make it sound really bad they won't use it they used it
0: (laughs) yeah yeah
1: watch the final cut miss all that shit (laughs) (laughs) like because like my dad back in the 80s saw this when it came out and like i didn't dive deep into it why he doesn't like the movie but he was like that i didn't like that movie Mm -hmm. that was awful Maybe because he saw the theatrical release.
0: <laughs> That's a possibility.
1: Like, it just blows my mind how studios are so afraid for a director to express his artistic vision that they would like, okay, we need to do this or else people won't know. And, and it's a detriment to the artist's work. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like going to the Mona Lisa and then in chalk pointing to her smile. This is where she smiles. Yeah. It's awful. Um, it, and
0: you know, just like we try to do better than God in our creation, uh, by making horrible, twisted, uh, destructive things on Mm -hmm. earth, uh, like replicants. Um, so too, when we think we can do better than, than the creative process and, um, it do what the studios do and take focus group quizzes and just try to narrow down to the very last detail, um, how to make a movie by, uh, by a, like a recipe instead of just letting
1: letting letting creativity flow. Yeah. You know what? That sounds awfully familiar, because I think we all experience that in our professional jobs as yeah. creatives. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like, sorry. <laughs> sorry, that it's was like, very supportive. It was sorry. just yes. 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 <laughs> I know that pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, man. So I think we relate to that theme pretty well. <laughs> man, I feel like in
3: um, within 2049, though, they definitely make it seem like Deckard and Kay are starting from the same perspective, though. Like, I feel like they did a really good job of this is starting off like a similar story, but then sorry, but then you kind of like more reading into it, you realize like, how much of a not real human being he really is. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) Int.
0: Yeah, because he ends up isolating himself from civilization and just living like a hermit um, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, And that can be, as I'm sure we're all aware of by now, um, post-COVID, how dehumanizing and lonely um, that
1: isolation can be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're somewhat coming out of it. Not really, though. Eh, I mean It needs to be seen. Maybe we're out of it, but, like, we're also not out of it. That's exactly where the world is. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. I'd say that's where the U.S. is at. But it's tough, too, because it's just climbing because it's being dragged on because it's definitely been politicized, which is frustrating because yeah. a lot of people, like because everyone gets the smallpox vaccine like pretty mm-hmm. much very early on if you go to if you go to school which every person is has to go to school they you have to get vaccines just get one more you
0: know you're going to be fine mm-hmm. right so. well we always try to make um or try always try to escape our own problems especially the ones that we made ourselves and we're never quite able to do so um just like in Blade Runner mm-hmm. um we try to escape our own world that we destroyed um, and we try to cheat our way out of um, solutions to our problems, um, problems that we made ourselves, and it always comes back to bite us.
1: Yeah,
3: it's true. The So within 2049, and I know in the first one, the evil, big evil bad is um, Tyrell, mm-hmm. is Wallace. Um, who is essentially the big bad in 2049? Mm-hmm. Was he like in? Did he specifically say he was inspired by Wallace? Like, he didn't like he, it's not like he's part of the same
1: family lineage or anything.
2: Is he?
3: No, I
1: think no, it was a completely different. It was, uh, so it was in the prologue. So they made it somewhat, uh, accessible to people that haven't seen the original film by okay. having that little world building paragraph in that. Scroll opening scroll. Oh, that's right. That's right. Where because those uh, replicants in the first movie killed the CEO of uh, Tyrell Corporation, that there was a need for replicants after whatever events. And then that's where uh, is it Marshall Wallace? Wallace. That's where Wallace comes in, and then that's where he had the new company moving into the old facility. Yep, he's a competitor. Yeah. I didn't know it was the old facility. I didn't know it was the same building. Well, it's 30 years later, so it's a new building because I'm sure you noticed in the beginning where in the first film it was almost like a pyramid. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where it was like this very visual striking image of uh, wealth mm-hmm. and like the power. power. Yeah. Yeah. You're ascending towards the heavens mm-hmm. while everyone else is so almost underground where it's so dark because the buildings dwarf above them Mm -hmm. block out the sun yeah Yeah. so it's like perpetual night and always raining for some reason Mm -hmm. (laughs) have you guys ever heard of the
3: the blade runner anime there's a like a short-storied anime um I believe either you know yeah, what
0: it's a prequel to 2049. Yes, and it
3: explains so really? I think yeah there's oh my God. one scene within 2049 that talks about the blackout where they lost like a whole bunch of communication mm-hmm. um or everything was like was lost and I think it also attributed to like a whole bunch of a lot of miscommunication like with replicants or something had had it happened. Um but mm-hmm. yeah that was I think that was another part that was uh, mentioned in the Scroll
0: as well, maybe. Yeah, it fills in some gaps here and there.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't even know that existed. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like um The Matrix. Yeah. Where The mm-hmm. Matrix had that animated movie, yeah, that but still yeah. lore. The mm-hmm. Animatrix. Yeah. I haven't seen it. It's great. Would you say that Dennis Velleneuve will be remembered? 40 years later because like we're looking back on Ridley Scott's movie with like such uh, reverency. Mm -hmm. Do you think Denis Villeneuve's film will achieve that too? I guess how can we even know?
0: Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to tell if it's going to survive the test of time um, because the original Blade Runner was so influential. Um, It's, it's almost like the second one, it can't possibly make as big an impact as the original. Right. Um, so I don't know if it can last another 40 years, um, but it, it's only because the original was that um, influential that it can't like get get out of its shadow. Um, but I think it will still be held up um, among the movies of this era um, as a shining example of what an art piece looks like, um, it, 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 especially with... Uh, to the to the degree and to the scale that it's been made. Wow.
3: My question is, though, I think for both of you guys, is that when can we accept that the original is no longer valid and that the latest version is now the new, like the new version of it? Because um, one of the podcasts me and Armand did was for Shin Godzilla. Oh yeah, and how it kind of like redid and kind of rejolted like the origin story and how it like really like connected i i'm i feel like for me right it's like i mean us as humans and just like all of us being a society are only going to be on the you know only going to be around for so long i myself am kind of on the on the side of that the original should almost be like thank you but it's time to move on to like what how this is now becoming, like, how the new one is the new trendsetter, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that only is happening with, like, music today, right? There's, I mean, even the transition from more of these seven-minute songs to now these more two-and-a-half-minute songs that can be, like, streamable and replayed over and over again. Mm-hmm. I just kind of almost feel like if we're, no one's going to listen to Beethoven anymore, you know, why should we... That, you know, how it's tough to look on the original Blade Runner and feel like that a lot of the um like the impact really is still there because that's almost the beautiful thing about like change in life and whatever mm-hmm. is because n- only so many things are going to be around for so long. We appreciate the things that it's brought on to us, but the things that it's brought on are only going to be expounded upon. I think about like even the NBA as well. Right. It's basketball stuff. But like, you know, I mean, you had Jordan and then, but now you like, then you're going to have another great because Mm -hmm. Jordan was great. And he did all broke all of these records. But then what happens when the next person, you know, like, okay, like just because they don't have the titles, right. They don't have the championship titles. What about everything else that was great that they created? So, Mm -hmm. and to also answer your name, if Dennis Villeneuve will be remembered, that depends if dune and any other movies other movies he makes is good too because uh from some of the things i've seen in dune like some of the interior designs some of the stuff yes there's some sand thrown in but <laughs> it it kind of reminded me of like Blade Runner a little bit, so I would Mm -hmm. like to see how and make sure that this just doesn't that it just doesn't feel like a his calling card, like his aesthetic. Yeah, because if this turns out that this is just his aesthetic, then like I think that's then when we can revisit the question: Is the original better than the new one? Mm -hmm. Because then it's now you're like, all right, so even though if the second maybe the second one wasn't as great, maybe it didn't make as much money because it just wasn't as you know. Didn't have that staying power, but Mm. this is the things I think about.
0: It reminds me of kind of two different approaches to art. Okay. um, To answer your question, Um, that I think both of these approaches need to be held in tension. Um, One of them, um, there's this uh, Winton Marsalis uh, quote that. Uh, I'm not going to get right, but he was essentially talking about art and how you need to approach it on its own terms. Like Good. if you don't if you don't understand uh, a, a piece of art, it's not because the art is bad or that it's wrong, but it's because you're not understanding it. So you have to approach art on its terms mm-hmm. and with what it wants to say. At the same time, there's the Joseph Campbell approach, which is basically like art is either going to affect you or it's not. And um, if it does, you can enjoy it uh, as it is, and you don't have to justify it or anything like that. Um, you don't have to do homework to appreciate art. Uh, it should just be that kind of visceral response. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need kind of both of those things when we're talking about comparing the original to what's come after it, because, um, something that may not make sense to you about the original, it might be just because you don't understand the context of um, the original in its time and what that means and what it was trying to say, um, or it's it's equally as valid to say you know the original just doesn't connect with me compared to this uh, new thing that came around, um, and so therefore it's better to just move on to the new thing. I, I think both are valid, but they should probably be held in tension and used at different times uh, for the right reason.
3: Damn, I'd I'd have to completely agree with with you on that too, and the. And the just a I feel like what would, would be a good example is the audio, right The audio mm-hmm. mixing is going to be completely different than it was you know some odd years ago the The technology in which the artist presented has been upgraded, therefore mm-hmm. it's definitely deepened the experience like the colors the 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 just like it almost feels like the perfection of that audio visual connection is like i don't know definitely I feel like felt like in the in the second movie but you're right like Mm -hmm. yes it's it's like yeah but the original brought on these great things and the second one kind of like expounded upon it made it even more beautiful like yeah like it definitely you know it's like you can appreciate the original for its roots and then a sequel
0: for how beautiful it's bloomed Mm -hmm. you know so yeah you don't have one without the other Mm -hmm. um you don't have uh, how do you Sergeant, get to two without one <laughs> yeah you, you don't get Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club without multi-track mixing mm-hmm. um, but now that we have that and technology so much more we can have um, music that we couldn't have even imagined uh, back in the 60s and so for the same reason uh, as much as we can appreciate the new thing in this case Blade Runner 2049 and all of its uh, technical achievements you don't get those achievements and you don't get that uh, foundation of thought without what came before
3: true 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 um armand what are you uh hmm what are your how did you feel like the like what are your thoughts we've kind of like talked about like accepting art for bloom into something new or like definitely um remember those roots like what are your kind of thoughts and feels on
1: this what was the question?
3: <laughs> like, what do you, uh, what do you, how do you feel like the movie has evolved from the uh, from the first one to the second one, and what are things that you like about it, and maybe things you don't like?
1: Well, it's quite a daunting task to take the aesthetic that was so influential on entertainment, the cyberpunk world, how it has a very very distinct aesthetic, mm-hmm. and then taking that. And then faithfully progressing at 30 years, but also being creative in how you present what that looks like on screen. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of like almost painting a picture. Like, how do I want this painting to look? What colors should I use? Like, what visuals do I want to focus in on that not only informs the viewer, this is what this dystopia looks like in 30 years, but also how do I evoke the emotion of dystopia to an audience in 2017 when the film came out? Hmm. So I think it was... I think Denis Villeneuve made a lot of decisions that I think look great on film, and I think it is a faithful uh, look into... This universe that uh, that we see in these two movies, um, I know Denis Villeneuve wants to return to the series in the future. Really? Because I forget where there was an article about it where he was like, "I dream of this world. Mm. I just I get lost thinking about this world even more." So it's like not only does he care about the story of Deckard, but he wants to flesh out and like create stories within this universe mm-hmm. that Blade Runner made. Mm-hmm. So I think if anyone's going to make a third one, it's him. Mm-hmm.
0: There's a lot of untapped potential for yeah. stories in this universe. So yeah, uh, for the sake of it, I hope, I hope he's able
1: to do that. Yeah, that would be amazing. So we touched upon it earlier with Kay's character, Where he hunts his own kind and like there's Mm -hmm. a plot where it's almost implied that Kay is kind of like the reverse of the first film where he's actually human instead of, is he a replicant? Mm -hmm. Kay is like, is he, am I, am I a real boy? Yeah.
3: Wow. Wow. Dude, Ryan Gosling in this movie really sells that deadpan, potentially robotic Mm. kind of look, feel, if you will. Yeah. Uh, He he gave us that taste and Drive, which I know that movie's supposed to be good, but I fell asleep. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? uh, Wasn't there like a lot of... I was really tired. I think it was mid-pandemic, and I was like, (laughs) I don't know. You started the movie at 1 a.m., yeah, it sounded, I don't know, maybe my depression nap just, it was that time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh,
3: but, um, I was, uh, yeah, I, I, I forgot about that within this movie. It's like, it does kind of give you that reverse feeling of like, damn, what if now that, um, it is blatant, this person is on like kind of a quest, you know, they're, they're on a quest to really like figure out if, what's in his head is like really real, you know, and that was hinted in the last one. And it's interesting how, if you're, you know, if you're really into the duality, excuse me, into the, like the, the, uh, humanity finding of the first one, like, that's what I feel like, like any, every, every fan can connect to for the second one. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it is the, um, it's still that hunt for humanity, but from, man, I guess it's more, it's almost, I like how it's we are seeing that more um from those who are, who are subjected to these implanted memories to the specific way of doing things you know it's just mm-hmm. to see him deal with it is uh it was man I was rooting for him like it made me root for him like please like I need to find out if this is who he is like mm-hmm. I, I yeah. need to find out so
1: yeah and I don't, I mean, I think the movie is such, it, it, I think the movie just portrays the story in such an awesome way. And I kind of don't want to change it. Mm-hmm. But a part of me is like, what What would the story look like if Kay's character is actually, he says who he is, which is Joe, mm-hmm. a man. It just makes me wonder would that change the overall story or would the message that Denis Villeneuve put in the movie stand? Would it be the same?
0: I'm not sure it would be the same. Um, I think, uh, when it, when it comes to it, we really like these stories where, um, Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com style. AI, robots, automatons uh, can kind of transcend their mold and uh, become human. Because um, I think it, it, again, goes back to that theme of, of us wanting to ascend and achieve godhood. Um, and so when it's like a replicant reaching, um, reaching humanity, it, it, it kind of exalts our image in a, in a bit of a way. Um, and on the contrary, we have, uh, these kinds of stories that warn against, um, trying to achieve Godhood and how it'll, um, just cause our collapse. So I think it certainly would be different, um, if Kay was actually human the whole time. Um, and, for the same reasons that I think Deckard needs to be human in Blade Runner, I think K needs to be a replicant in
1: Twenty Forty Nine. That makes sense.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I I really love his his hunt for who who is me, like who am I? Who is me? Who am I? Uh, but um, also with with the question of who am I. Um, I think what everyone really wants to know, what's um, I think what everyone wants to know, not more than who who they are, is why do they exist? Mm -hmm. And he wants to, like, it's clear, like, he was just, he's trying to find that out. Like, he's trying to find, like, do these memories, like, my role, my job is a detective. I hunt replicants. And does that, like is it really my existence to just be given these memories? Because like, it's, it's kind of, that's almost like kind of interesting too. Right. Cause I'm sure they have replicants for numerous, uh, like to do numerous amount of jobs. And it's the one replicant that is just, you know, doing what it is he has to do. He's just kind of being a detective and he's just finding out more and more about himself. I, right. I think it's just like, just mirrors so much about like, I think the first one definitely mirrors about, the like seeing you're almost like you're watching someone. You're, um, the first one feels like you're watching someone kind of deal with the and grip, um, that they've lost within the world of humanity mm-hmm. and that they just kind of feel like that they can never, they just can't. They, they can't feel, they can't like achieve, they can't do it. And then the second one, it's like, why is it that I can do all of these things? Is it because I'm special, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, that's why I feel like it's a big difference between, like big theme, big humanity theme difference between the two. Wow.
0: My main takeaway I, I think would be this, is that um, it's, the act of creation and what it means to be human um, is very much tied together. Um, I think we can see that in both films and it parallels the creation of these films themselves. Um, how yeah. one was kind of ruined um, by this desire to just eliminate all the risk and, mm-hmm. of the creative process. Yeah. And the other one is uh, just this fantastic um, movie that has critical acclaim and um, And because it was just let loose to be free and do what it will. Um, And it perfectly uh, parallels the human and replicant threads of the story.
2: Whoa.
1: (laughs) So it makes me wonder what setting needs to happen as in making the film in order to make another great piece of art of like Blade Runner 4000. Hmm. You're saying within the movie or you're saying what real life film thing? crew production, because like there was a hardship faced with the first film. Mm-hmm. And then with the second film, it was let's have it be as uh, free as it can be mm-hmm. to make a, this uh, piece of cinematic art. What needs to happen with the third movie to make it amazing? Mm,
0: I I see what you're saying. Um, It's going to depend on when it's actually made um, and the technology present to do what it can do. Um, I mean, the visuals are absolutely stunning in both films, especially Mm -hmm. taking into account when they were made. Um, I I think with... um, There's a possibility that like a VR experience or um, something like that, if... Uh, VR ends up being a more predominant form of entertainment. Um, I think that would be like technologically another step in that direction. As far as having it have a voice and say something, um, I really don't know because a lot of these amazing art pieces are uh, intersections of the right people being at the right place at the right time in the right circumstance in a way that is very very difficult to to duplicate, so the fact that uh twenty forty nine was as successful in doing that as it was uh is kind of a miracle uh to do that a third time would be like a miracle on top of a miracle, so I don't know if it'll happen
3: this this is something I thought about in the beginning of like towards the beginning of our um of our time here, but something that I had thought about was okay so and I'm I'm sorry, I'm kind of like a little spoiler slash talking about the end of 2049, but mm-hmm. I know towards the end of 2049, we're essentially seeing the beginning of a, re- uh, of a replicant rebellion. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I instantly thought about like, well, okay, so what countries have we've seen in our real life have had extreme flips within the 30 years that could then be used as almost source material but then I also think about, too, is that, you know, I th- I think it's going to take a couple more potentially world-binding events, especially, and then that kind of maybe has to do more specifically maybe with even, like, climate crisis, right, mm-hmm. or um, with other people, kind of, or just, like, other countries and whatnot. But I think the next movie is supposed to kind of, I feel like we might see this dystopian world and in a little bit more of a worn torn setting, right? These could be replicants oh. turning on one like mm-hmm. turning and uprising, um, and seeing themselves as the ideal um in uh within human evolution. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little nervous to see a third one because I feel like the world isn't gonna be as nice and neat and mm-hmm. organized as like what everybody expects it to, you know, like yeah, it, it's, more of an apocalypse.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it could look a bit more like Mad Max or Waterworld. Yeah. (laughs) Or one of the Terminator
1: movies. (laughs) Exactly.
3: They're doing a Mad Max prequel. Sorry, but... The Fury Road, the most recent one.
1: About Furiosa? Yeah. Oh, that's going to be so awesome. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. But, uh, yeah, going back to Blade Runner. Yeah, it's... So, the story is progressing towards... So, the first movie was... What does it mean to be human? As mm-hmm. in, am I a human or am I a replicant? Second one was, what does it mean to be human? I am a replicant, but what makes me different than a man? Mm-hmm. You know? So then with the next movie, it would be, uh, I'm a replicant. I, I have rights to, and why should I be subject to a life of suffering yes. if I am conscious too as a human?
0: Yeah. Oh, That's
1: see, but a very. It has to be that time. It can't be, mm-hmm. you know, the first movie again.
0: Yeah. I think
3: this will be a thirty-year jump, which might be enough time where
1: there could have been enough
3: conflicts where things have been kind of resolved. But I, I, I definitely expect. I don't know. I, I would almost kind of expect within the third movie to see more violent acts from replicants. Like it almost oh. kind of seemed like the replicants were supposed to be like terrorists in the first one. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I feel like if anything, you know, maybe in the third one is when we hear how, you know, what if we find out how like, K, like, no, I, you know what? I have no idea how I'm trying to, well, it, it's,
0: it'd be interesting to see a replicant society and what that looks like and what they value, because by the end of 2049, they reproduce or at least some of them or they're close to finding the secret. Um, And so in that that difference between how human society ends up uh, in the, in the Blade Runner universe um, it'd be interesting to see the difference between that and um, what the replicants come up with. And then further what that means as far as, uh, as far as being human, like what kind of societies do we make? What do they make? Um, And what does that tell us about ourselves?
1: So I know Neil Blomkamp talked about this um how the next step of a cinematic experience is not only watching it in this 2d 3d world but also being immersed in it through Mm -hmm. virtual reality and like not not only seeing the events but like living it with the characters Mm -hmm. i think That would be amazing because like, I don't know if you know about this, Aaron, but like there are, you know, when you see a play, go to the theater, see a show, Mm -hmm. there was this one, it was like a murder mystery story. I forget what the plot was about, but like the aesthetic was like a suburban home, Mm -hmm. maybe like in the seventies or something. And like you see the story, uh, play out on stage, but you are on the stage Oh, you are within the house watching this unfold around you gotcha so it's an experience rather than entertainment
0: yeah i guess that's maybe the only way left that um the filmmakers would have a way to um really try to place us in that world Mm. and make it as real as possible yeah
3: I think the biggest roadblock for the advancement of cinema is the convenience of watching it at home.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because um, now that streaming services are the norm and uh, the Hollywood studio system is experimenting with different release models as far as uh, theatrical releases go, um, movie making is not really, or, or watching a movie is not really an experience anymore. Um, it's, it's like another piece of content to be consumed. Um, it it used to be like, you know, in the forties, they'd have these movie palaces and everybody went to, uh, the movies each week and it didn't really even matter. Um, you know, what was on, they would just go see what's playing. And, um, the, the, that, that experience of going to movies, we don't really have anymore, um, If you saw 2049 in IMAX, you'll know what I mean in that it's a unique experience that is just super difficult to replicate, Mm -hmm. even on a really good home theater Mm -hmm. system at home. Um, But people are going to go with convenience over um, chasing that experience. That's going to be a smaller and smaller crowd in the future. Hmm. It's just
3: tough too, because like a lot of the movies on streaming are not good. I've yep. fallen asleep through a lot of Netflix movies <laughs> like, and, I, and they're not really memorable. So I feel like, mm-hmm. well, if they're not, if it doesn't really feel like that, they're going for like first week streams and it definitely doesn't feel like that they're, that they don't want to take risks. What's like, it's, I just don't see it as a big profit gain or a huge art expression. It's right. just, it cuz it just also movies nowadays with people feeling more um wanting to see more uh representation within movies i think mm-hmm. it's just until that representation also catches up within movies i think i almost feel like people are more willing to like write off movies as like this is just yeah i watched it it was fine moving on
1: mm-hmm. so wow yeah i mean I don't even know how to feasibly bring that magic back without going back in time and, like, we're not going back. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I can think of maybe, like, our childhood where it would seem like people are congregating around the movie theater Mm -hmm. to to see what's on instead of, you know, the other way around. Yeah. And then now what's easily accessible isn't good, like Diego... That error message "Are you still watching?" applies to you because you're falling asleep to their movies. <laughs> so do they need to put that warning label up more times <laughs> to make I, people are
3: watching? Right. I man, it's maybe that's just why. Like I've just as uh, like I I just feel like I watch anime more most of anything because I'm like I just feel like I'm watching. Sometimes when I watch a movie, sometimes I just feel like I'm a sucker. Like I really felt like I was a sucker paying $20 to watch Black Widow. Like I was like, Mm. I'd rather just waited it for stream. Now, Uh and the other thing is, now, there's the other thing, because I really want to see Green Knight, but I, why would I, why would I, like, what's stopping me from, like, yeah, it's great to go to a movie by myself and just watch it, but I would also love to just, like, be in my jams and (laughs) watch it at home, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. It's, um, it's tough because I think now something like how, okay, so right now, uh, a big thing, a big issue for, for teachers last year was the issue that not every child is within, sorry, I'm going on a rant. Mm-hmm. And not every child is, you know, is in the same situation. Now I feel like it's going to be the same thing with the movie. Like you can't, for instance, the movie Dunkirk, um, you can't really watch that at home. It's a little tough just because of the way it was uh, shot, mm-hmm. how the audio was mixed as well. Um, so, I think, you know, for definitely for the future of this franchise of Blade Runner, that has to be, um, put in mind. I almost feel like, you know, it has to be more visual, like the future of cinema is visual leaning. Mm-hmm. I feel like as well, because yeah. audio, no offense to the audio people, <laughs> uh, that like audio can be affected by tech. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess like visuals can be too, but I feel like, um, it's cheaper. Would you say that it's cheaper? I feel like it's more expensive to achieve a higher audio experience than it is for visual experience. Would we say
1: Ooh, this is? Oh, that's a good question.
0: Yeah. Um, we, we Yeah, we seem to have hit some kind of ceiling as far as um, audio technology goes and improving um, its its quality and fidelity um, like visually uh, you can you can go through movies from the 60s onwards and um, just visually note the uh, improvements that it makes over and over with the visual aspect and to a certain extent audio will Im- follow that improvement um, but it kind of has capped out already and we, we kind of are waiting on a more uh, technological change to develop in order um, to improve that quality so, Um, probably what, um, what would be the best advancement in that right now just is less in how the audio sounds, but more how it behaves. And by that, I mean things like, um, like 3d ambisonics where, um, you have like a bunch of different microphones pointing in different directions to get like a complete 3d sound sound picture. And then you marry that with VR and, Um, it it will change its sound realistically depending on where you're looking and where you're standing. Um, So if that kind of technology can come to uh, movies, then that might be a way that um, how that works and how we interact with it changes how we approach making movies. Um, Until we get there, I think we're pretty much capped out.
1: Damn. That would be amazing. It would. Wow. I think it is – It's possible, but very time-consuming, I would imagine. Yeah. I think the only thing I think of is that I just really hope there aren't
3: movies where they say, you're, you, you're the guy, (laughs) (laughs) you're the one. Like, they just don't uh, tell you the protagonist (laughs) because you're the protagonist. Like, bruh.
1: That'd be the Adam Sandler version of those types of movies <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah um it would be fun to definitely be
3: like almost in an embarrassed situation that would be like quite the experience of you're like depicted as this little kid and I, i'm saying this because this happened to me and you fart and everyone hears you and just laughs <slaps> at
2: you <laughs> oh no yeah Austin was bad <laughs>
3: So, but you know, stuff like that would be, and as you turn your head to see who's laughing at you, you know, it, it changes because of the echo, like within the room. Yeah. That would be so sick.
0: There's a, um, there's a VR video game, um, called Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. Whoa. And it plays around (laughs) with that. Like, um, many of the themes of this game are like mental illness and psychosis. And so that's actually one of the game mechanics is that, um, you'll hear like whispers in your ear. Uh, telling you uh, like warning you about threats that aren't there and um, giving you directions that uh, just like work against you and good for you. And yeah, they just like whisper to you all the time. Um, so it's, it's a trip, but it's, a, it's that marriage of technology and the message that it's trying to say um, in, in a way that's innovative that I would hope we would have for a future Blade Runner. Oh,
1: that would be insane. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's so crazy. So, one last thing before we get to our one reason why Mm -hmm. with Blade Runner, Mm -hmm. which is, I love how you brought it up. How we can have this experience when watching a movie. And when you're watching Blade Runner 2049, you feel for Kay's character because of his opposite, joy. Mm-hmm. It's portrayed by Anna de Armas. And as you watch the movie, you just think, like, oh, that's his AI girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Cortana with the Master Chief in the yeah. series. <laughs> yeah. So, and then as the film progresses, you find out that she's engineered to be a positive influence on their owner i guess mm-hmm. so it's kind of like everything they say is what you want to hear and what you want to see exactly and ultimately be what who you want to be so using the idea of like vr movies with that idea that's like you become a prisoner of your own mind i guess like mm-hmm. you're not truly living in reality you're living in this false reality where your truth is so distorted from reality. Hence why having the robot girlfriends that affirm you in every Mm -hmm. instance ever. So like, would the next blade runner be not only are you visually experiencing something, but also you're going through that experience as if you were the character.
0: Yeah. Um, you could even, it might even become a choose your own adventure thing where, um, you make different actions and experience different results, um, through that interaction, whether as that character or as different characters or different points of view, um, may be able to choose your own. Um, I mean, in a VR experience like that, you're essentially being your own director and choosing what shots to look at and where to be. And, um, there can very well be that interactive nature to,
1: uh, future movies like that. So it makes me, think that's why video game movies never work because you're already at mm-hmm. that heightened experiential where you're essentially living the character because you're controlling the yeah. main character of they become the story. an extension of you yeah so then when film companies see the success of video games like oh let's make it into a movie and it just doesn't work because it's already a distilled product of yeah. what the original was
0: yeah and it lacks that interactivity and by changing from one medium to another like that, you change the kind of uh stories to tell and the different kind of experiences experiences that you can have so um that that's totally why video game movies fail Wow, I think for
3: me it's it's really the it's really the urge to just make a just make a callback like I saw the Mortal Kombat movie and i've never been a mortal Kombat fan um i was just like really the action looked honestly like a good time um but i just don't love the the blatant you know plugging in fatality or whatever And, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's it's just weird because it's just it's that those kinds of things are like not for everyone and then you also realize that with video games, there's just so many different characters and everybody loves each character for different reasons. And you're just, it's, you're just never going to get it right. And therefore those kinds of movies just feel like a cash grab. Like it just, mm-hmm. it feels disingenuous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause like tangent on mortal combat. Cause I saw it too. And like the first 10 minutes was, I was like, this is how you adapt a video game. You take the core story and like expand on it and create a mythos Mm -hmm. so he had like this scorpion sub-zero as if they were in china like a chinese man and a mongolian like depicting that as if it was mystical was Mm -hmm. that not part of it was that added for immortal combats made by midway games here in chicago where people just punch and kick and dodge each other i thought there was Mm -hmm. like a huge mythos like (laughs) (laughs) kind of really no it's mostly just Hey, we're here. Let's have a
0: tournament. And we have these yeah. champions. Yeah,
3: this right. Sounds like League.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, like, in the beginning of the film, it looked like, I was like, oh, my God, they're, like, building upon this cool mythology, and, like, maybe it'll become, like, a new franchise, like, akin to, like, Marvel. hmm And then it turned into the video game on screen. Yep. That was weird. <laughs> that was weird. And I was like, oh, no. My favorite was
3: seeing one of the guys just, mm-hmm. like when he was screaming in pain from him his, and his arms ripped off, like I kind of watched him like almost take a knee to see where he was landing. And I was like, God, I Hollywood, I'm like, I'm so picky with movies now. Like it's so tough, but Hey, this
1: is what it is. Mm-hmm. They made us be picky because they make poor choices. Yes. Just for money. And that's why this movie was a success because like, it didn't care about making money. Mm -hmm. It just wanted to faithfully continue the story. Yes. And that's not financially profitable for some reason. Yeah. And in the process, say something new and actually have a voice and a point of view. That's why I'm going to throw a whole bunch of people under the bus. I am so sorry. Go for it. But like, that's why if you look at the crowd levels for like the art gallery, you know, art Institute to see, Mm -hmm. you know, Monet and all that. Compared to Soldier Field. Mm-hmm. The population density is completely different because, the I, I don't know, the the high level of art, looking at a picture, looking at a movie versus seeing our local warriors throw a ball around. Mm-hmm. You know, gladiatorial yeah. games, nerfed.
3: All I could think about, gladi- to- nerfed gladiatorial games? I mean,
1: that's pretty much what it is. Think about
3: it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm i going to go. You stop me if I go on a tangent. Um, I l- really like watching the UFC, but all I could think about is the wealthy pitting poor people together.
1: Sorry, this is completely different. Like, just to, for their but own But is it in the Blade Runner world? I would think not. Like, it's the same. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> that. yeah
0: well the majority of people are going to see um these very safe kind of cookie cutter movies um and the value in seeing them is not um the the how how well it's actually made in the movie itself but it's in the network it's the number of people going to see it because um you know if everybody's seeing this movie then that's what everybody's talking about so um the value of seeing that movie is then being a part of that network, not seeing this great piece of art. Um, whereas um. with Blade Runner, with Blade Runner 2049, um, it is a more finely crafted movie, but it's also not for everyone. It's somewhat niche. Um, and so with that taste comes the price that not everybody's going to see it. Not everybody, not everybody's going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it is a hard experience to sell and to uh, actually
1: uh make art profitable. But then it wouldn't be art if it was profitable.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Thus lies the paradox. Yes. And oh, Blade Runner has fallen directly into
1: it. Absolutely. So guys, we've been we've been talking a while. I mean this is mm-hmm. This roundtable has been what a year in the making.
0: Yeah, we we've been planning this thing for a while. <laughs> Wasn't
1: there like five
0: people originally in this?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, they all chickened out, <laughs> yeah. and that was just us. Yeah. That distilled. Yeah, man, this freaking pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah ready for
3: it
0: to be over, but yeah, it's sounds it'll take some steps. Yeah. A year in the making. Thank you, Armand, making for making this happen.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, thank you. So, before we close the show, what would be your one reason to recommend somebody Blade Runner, as if they'd never seen it before?
3: Um, I would say someone should go see this movie if... I'm pretty sure I said in the last movie, if you want to see something you haven't seen before. So I would say one should go see this movie if they are exhausted by, like, the tradition, like, by, like, the space opera that is, like, Star Wars, by, like, the semi-reality of Star Trek, um, and they don't necessarily want to just consume something that is hot off the shelves. This is your, this is your, (laughs) your, your buddies. this is your buddy who calls movies films favorite movie. So I would say if you're down for something new, if you want to see, you know, if you want to, if you really want to experience a movie, I would definitely watch Blade Runner 2049. And if you're curious to a lot of those inspirations and how it is we've got a lot of the things, you know, that make the sci-fi movie industry, then you should check out the original one. Final Cut. It's on Netflix.
0: Don't make it difficult to watch
2: that one. <laughs> nice. <laughs>
0: yes, absolutely. And you, Aaron? My one reason why is that a good movie will make you think or make you feel, but Blade Runner makes you dream. Truly.
1: Dream of electric sheep. Yes. I know.
0: It, it, <laughs> it, it makes you imagine a world that you want to be a part of, but a world that uh, reflects so clearly and accurately on ours. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you want to, if you want to watch a movie that makes you, um, wonder about, uh, the miracle that is being human, um, and the incredible burden that that carries with it, um, Blade Runner is your series.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see where Blade Runner goes and maybe one day we'll be around a table again, talking about Blade Runner three. Mm-hmm. Oh Yeah.
3: Uh, I believe it would be 2079 because it's 2019, 2049, 2079, right? Yep. Yeah. 30 years later. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be uh, old people. Yep.
1: Remember that please. <laughs> <laughs> I hope
3: it doesn't take 30 years. I'd, I'd give it, um, I would only say it would be 30 because if Dune is really good, then he's probably going to continue oh, going with Dune.
1: Yeah. I hope Dune does well. I have read excited. it. Oh, it's so good. It's in my
3: library as well.
1: All right. But that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about Blade Runner. Please check it out where it is available. And now I'm going to take a moment to thank my guest, Aaron Diego, for coming on to the show. Thank you so much, Armand. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This was beyond a blast. But if you want to hear more of Aaron, please check him out on WSTR Galactic Public Access, a Star Wars podcast.
0: Indeed. Indeed. That is yes. WSTRmedia.com for all the shenanigans.
1: <laughs> and then Diego wants to be left alone, right?
0: Uh, no, I have, a, <laughs> I have a
3: website, djradesign.com, and my Instagram is curated by Diego.
1: That's all. That's yeah. all I got. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right, but if you want to keep the Blade Runner conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at syndicates, that is C-I-N-E-D-I-C-A-T-E, syndicate on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd have Discord, please join the growing film community there where you can find myself and other podcasters talking about Blade Runner and many more movies at syndicate.com forward slash Discord. But if you want to yell at us through the email about Blade Runner or anything, please send your emails to info at syndicate.com or visit the website syndicate.com. Until next time, stop that scroll, spend more time watching. Goodbye.